It's no time for the pastor to bring his message. The message is titled, Jesus lifted up his eyes. Thank you, Franklin. Good morning. Glad to see you here this morning. Uh, before I start, I just wanted to uh, say a few things about the, uh, you know, disease in the world. I don't want to say a lot about that. There's always been disease in the world. This is a new one, at least as far as we know. That's the nature of a fallen world. New diseases happen. Sometimes we're not that prepared scientifically, you know. We can't study this virus until this virus appears. And then there's some lag time, right? So we're dealing with that in the world today. One of the things about viruses is you get them from someone who has them. So that means you don't want to be around the person who has a virus. So, uh, you know, lots of things are going on in the world. And what I've noticed is there are as many different levels of concern about this as there are people. I've noticed some people who are literally scared to death. And I've noticed some people who really, seriously, are not scared enough. They should be a little more scared. And everyone's talking to each other on Facebook and all those social media platforms and either telling everyone else to panic more or to panic less. Everybody's got an opinion. I've got one, you've got one. I'm not a panicky kind of person, so I tend to lean on the, this seems like a big overreaction opinion, but how, who, how would I possibly know? I might be horribly underreacting. Well, so what, why are we talking about this in church? The answer is because church is a meeting of people. Here you are sitting next to somebody a little closer than you really should be, you know. Like. The very word church in the Bible, ecclesia, which is very much like the word in a lot of language, iglesia, it's the same word. That word means people assembled together. That is the meaning of the word church. And so in Hebrews, you have an exhortation that says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's the same word. Only there it's used as a verb, so we translate it assembling. It's the same word. The very meaning of the word church is assembly. What if assembling is dangerous? Well, I guess under certain conditions, we should probably not assemble in that case. If not assembling is a good way to take care of one another, then we shouldn't meet for a while at least. Well, I'm saying way more than I meant to on this, but here's the thing. For me, the kind of bottom line is, if I know Christ, if I am united to Christ, 
I need not fear anything at any time. Now, here's something I've noticed about myself. I'm united to Christ. I need not fear, and a good part of the time I fear anyway. Because we're human beings. These are scary things. So I'm not, uh, I don't condemn myself for being fearful, but we operate from a position of security at the beginning. This is really the most important thing to notice when bad things are happening around us. In Christ, we are in a position of security. If I catch this disease and die from it, I'm good. Are we back? Okay, we're back. That doesn't mean I'm going to go out and try to catch this disease and die from it any more than I'm going to drive down the road without putting my seatbelt on. Or take any precaution to preserve life. Or encourage other people to take precautions to preserve life. Sometimes the best thing for me to do to take care of you is not shake your hand. Here in Bonaire, we don't have a case of this virus yet. So far, it looks like it's not here yet. Who knows how long that'll last? Maybe tomorrow we'll find out there's a case of this in Bonaire, maybe later today. Maybe they're making this announcement right now. At this point, here in our church, we haven't made a decision that it's best not to meet yet. Here we are. And we haven't made a decision that it's best not to shake hands or hug each other yet. We might, we could, but not yet. And at the same time though, if you feel it's best for you personally not to shake somebody's hand or hug them, we respect that. So this morning, if you go to shake somebody's hand and they want to give you an elbow or a fist bump instead, or great, no problem. We're all trying to be as wise as we can be in a situation where we don't know enough to be as wise as we should be. So that's kind of where we are at the moment. I would just want to communicate to everybody that elders are paying attention to this just like you are, and we're trying to make exercise good wisdom and make good decisions. Uh, you know, there's a lot of churches in a lot of places that are not assembling today because it's really best not to. So far, this is where we are. Now, uh, we do want to say, hey everyone, before you go anywhere, wash your hands. Oh, and when you get back, you better wash your hands again. And when we say wash your hands, we don't mean, you know, run some water on them. We mean thing I read said, sing happy birthday to yourself twice, and then you've washed your, your hands long enough. Take care, use the paper towel, you know, we've got all those precautions. We sent everybody an email about this, but I wanted to just say something uh, to uh, give you a little bit of where, what, what we're thinking uh, here. So, it's possible we're wrong.
Yeah. But we still come back to this. United to Christ, we are absolutely 100% safe at all times. If you are in the middle of a horrible crash in your car and in Christ, in that moment, you are 100% safe, even if it kills you. That's what we've been reading about in the book of John lately, is I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, won't die. Even if he dies, will live. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Even if he dies. So we are always in that strong position. We have the assurance of God's word. That psalm that Franklin read. We trust in him. He takes care of us. We don't take care of ourselves. He takes care of us. And we do what the smart thing to do is all the time as much as possible. Have I said enough about that now? I hope so. Because I really want to talk about Lazarus. Well, not Lazarus so much, but Jesus. I want to ask you a question that maybe you've asked yourself, and that is, what is the good of praying? keep that question in your head because I forgot there was something else I needed to talk about before I started. Uh, I'm going to find my place here. We are in the book of John in chapter 11 and we're going to be kind of in the middle of that. But before I start, also, I wanted to recognize a very special visitor that we have with us today. And I didn't tell her that I was going to do this to her, so I hope it's okay. Uh, here at International Bible Church, there are two uh, missionaries that we support. Uh, we support the Siland family. It's really a couple who work with Campus Crusade for Christ in Curacao, at the University of Curacao. We're connected with them because we have some of our young people who have gone to school there and uh, been mentored and encouraged by their ministry. And so the elders recently made a decision to help with their support. They're in a bit of a need moment. And then there's another missionary that we support, and her name is Rosalba Mendoza. She's been serving with the Logos Hope on the ship, and uh, she just happens to be here with us today. Rosalba, would you stand up so everyone can see you? And uh, we're very glad to see you. It's very good to see you. Now, Rosalba needs your prayers. So does everyone else sitting in here, by the way, but Rosalba, I want to talk about. The uh, Rosalba needs your prayers because Rosalba needs a new passport, and she needs a new passport from the government of Venezuela. I don't know how enthusiastic they are right now to give passports to missionaries. 
but she, uh, who's in charge? Well, there's a Lord, right? He's in charge. So ask him to make the way straight for Rosalba so she can continue her service. Now, she's also looking to maybe change her place of service. Um, I think she might be a little bit crazy because she's looking to serve the Lord in North Korea. And uh, what a bold and brave thing to do. I think she must really believe what I just said a few minutes ago about how we're safe in Christ no matter what and no matter where. And if you really believe that, you can serve the Lord boldly. And so we want to pray for Rosalba that the Lord will give her all the direction and provision that she needs to serve in whatever way he's called her to serve. That's the calling she senses at the moment. The Lord's in charge, right? He can send us anywhere, anytime to do anything. And uh, so please be praying for her. And please say hello, because uh, she's here. <laughs> now, there's uh, some other guests that are here that are also special, at least to me. And uh, so I'm going to embarrass them as well. And that is my much older brother. He was born in the 1950s. And he's here. He's a lot older than me. And I have to tell you this because you're going to look at him and say, I don't know. And he's here with his lovely wife, Stephanie. And uh, so they're going to be here. They're on a little vacation this week. Could you guys stand up? I knew she was going to give me that look. So anyway, say hi to them too. Are we ready for the sermon yet? That wasn't it. I asked you to think about why do you pray? What's the good of praying? If Here, here's the law, the, the reason for asking the question. It's another question. Does God do what's good and right 100% of the time? Yes. Does God do what he knows is best all the time? Yes. If you ask God to do something and he knows it's not best, Will he do it? No. If, if you ask your good father to give you rocks for lunch, will he still make the sandwich? Yes. That's the illustration Jesus used. He said, look, you being evil, you fathers here being evil, you know how to take care of your children. Don't you think God knows how to take care of his? Does he stop taking care of us because we're not asking? No. So why do we ask? I want to notice something about Jesus today. Jesus, if there was a human being who doesn't need to pray, it would be Jesus. 
He's God. He can just do. Now, I just wanted to get that question in everyone's head. I want to get everyone's mind a little jumbled up and troubled about this. What are you praying for? Why? What's, why bother? God's going to do what's best for you whether you ask him or not. There is that troublesome verse in James that says you don't have because you don't ask, but we'll, we'll just kind of leave all this in our heads for now. And let's get into the story where we left off. Where we left off was Jesus weeping. Jesus weeping for the death of Lazarus. Jesus weeping for the death of Lazarus, even though Jesus knew he was going to reverse that in a few moments. Because Jesus, we learned last week, really, really sees the terror of sin and death. In, way, in a way, we don't. We're sort of used to it. So we don't really understand it as deeply as he does. And there he is, standing at the grave of Lazarus, weeping. And by the way, him standing at the grave of Lazarus, he might as well be standing at yours or mine. Because for him, the tragedy of the human condition of every last one of us is the tragedy of sin and the consequence of death. And that is why he is standing anywhere on the earth at all. So his coming is one big example of this standing at the grave of Lazarus. He's standing at the grave of us all about to do something about it. Well, I don't want to repeat too much of last week. So this week, we start in verse, what is it, 38? Yeah. Then Jesus, and John mentions here, deeply moved again. He is not done weeping when he says this. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. <laughs> and everyone went. Uh, and Martha says, Lord, uh, He's been dead for four days. There's going to be a smell. Like, take away the stone. And I assume this reaction from Martha, and probably representing everyone there, this reaction from Martha is assuming that the Lord saying, take away the stone, is about the Lord engaging in the mourning process still. Everyone's already observed him weeping, mentioned how much he loved Lazarus. And he says, take away the stone. And everyone knows how people get a little crazy when they're grieving. And so they're saying, uh, maybe not. 
And then he responds. He says, didn't I tell you? And then I think when he says this out loud, everyone notices, oh, something different is going on with him. He says, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? If you trust me, you will see the glory of God? So now everyone's, oh, he's going to do something. I don't think they have anywhere near their imagination what he's actually going to do. But they say, oh, okay, right, it's Jesus. Something's, he's going to do something. And so he does. And so they, he says that and they obey. They take away the stone. But Jesus says, if you trust me, you'll see the glory of God. Now, when Jesus talks about the glory of God in the book of John, this is not just about the resurrection of Lazarus, which is about to happen here. This is also about the death and resurrection of Jesus. It, there's more to it than what he's about to do for Lazarus. And of course, what he's about to do for Lazarus is the catalyst that will lead to his own crucifixion and resurrection. So this is also about when he talks about you will see the glory of God, he's not just talking about you're going to see Lazarus come out of the grave. He's also talking about you're going to see me die and also come out of the grave like for good and for all and for everyone. That's the glory of God in the book of John. It's the death and resurrection of Christ. So the stage is set. There they are. Jesus is standing there. The people are standing around. They've taken the stone out. Then Jesus says, Lazarus, oh no, that's not yet. There's something first. He doesn't just say, Lazarus, come out. In fact, Jesus doesn't just raise Lazarus. Here's what he says. So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard, hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now, Jesus apparently is telling us now that he has prayed, and the Father has heard his prayer, because now he's giving thanks that the prayer has been heard and will be answered. This must be a prayer for the resurrection of Lazarus, if we read the story. Here's the thing. Jesus is the eternal Son of God made man. His prayers are always 100% 
at all times in absolute agreement with the will of God the Father. He never one time for one second prayed anything, prayed, asked for anything that was not the will of God the Father. That is a big, giant clue. And here's the other thing. He never gets a no. Never. And this only makes sense, right? Like, if your child came to you and said, can I have some vegetables? Please? And you are already gearing up for the argument you are going to have to have to get them to eat some vegetables, and they came and said, please give me some vegetables. You are not going to say... Uh, why do you want vegetables all of a sudden? No, you're just going to give them the vegetables. You were already planning to. This is the way Jesus prays. Always in absolute agreement with the Father's will, and so the Father always gives an affirmative answer. Jesus, unlike me, never hears a no from God the Father. Not once, ever. You know, this makes me very curious. I wonder... If Jesus has prayed asking God for anything on my behalf, perhaps you might want to look around in the Bible and see if Jesus ever asked for anything from God for you, because I will tell you something, if he did, you are going to get it. Without a shred of doubt, because the Father does not turn Jesus down on anything, because Jesus always asks for exactly the right thing. So, the Father's will is always in agreement with Jesus' prayers. Now, this also gives me a clue about praying. Myself. You know that there's a verse in the book of 1 John and there's other places where the same thing is indicated. And plus, if you just exercise a little common sense, you'd know it to be true anyway. It says, whatever we ask, according to the Father's will, He will give us. Just if, in case you want proof, look up 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. I'm going to just read it to you. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Oh, wait, what's going on? 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now there's a big fat condition, according to his will. According to his will. And again, it's the same thing, right? 
If I ask a good father for something he intends to provide for me anyway, the answer is going to be yes. And then we might come to back to our question, then what's the point of asking? You are going to feed your child the vegetables whether they ask for them or not. What's the point of asking then? Interesting question. We're not going to answer it just yet. But we're going to notice that the same thing is going on with Jesus. And you might want to look around again, I repeat, you might want to look around in the scripture for what is it exactly that Jesus has asked for on your account. Here's a hint. Take a look at John chapter 17. Unbelievable what he's asked for. When you read it, if you have this in mind, you will think, how? 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 I'll give you one, because I can't help myself. One. That we, in the body, among the disciples, those who are in Christ, would experience among ourselves, the same unity that is experienced in the triune Godhead. The same. Oh my gosh. That we would share the same love that the Father has for the Son. The answer will be yes. The answer will be yes. I really didn't mean to preach too much on that, but here we are. Jesus explains why he's praying in this instance. He says that they may believe that you sent me. He says, you know, thanks, Lord, for hearing me. Yeah, I know you always hear me. I just wanted to say that for these people here, that they would believe that you sent me. Here's what is going on with Jesus, and maybe we'll close with this and come back next time. <laughs> Jesus doesn't just raise Lazarus. She certainly could have done He prays for Lazarus to be raised. Weird, huh? He doesn't just perform the miracle. He asks the Father to perform the miracle through him. Why? Well, here it is. That these people might believe that you sent me. You see, this is the issue in the book of John. Where is Jesus from? This is the whole point. This is why Jesus keeps on saying, you, He sent me, He sent me, He sent me. You must believe that He sent me. Jesus, the man, is the word of God made flesh in the beginning of John. He's the revelation of God incarnate. When you see him, he says to Philip, you've seen God. 
He's sent by God. This connection between Jesus the man, the Son of God made flesh, and God the Father is absolutely essential. It is the point. He's the eternal Son of God sent by the Father to raise his people from the dead, those who believe. If you believe, if you trust me, you will see the glory of God. You will participate in the glory of God in resurrection. That's the point. It doesn't, raising Lazarus would be a great, magnificent sign and all, except a sign of what? It is not a sign of the power of Jesus. It is, the sign, it is a sign that the power Jesus exercises is a power that comes from God himself. It is a sign of a relationship to the Father. What is in dispute in the whole book of John is, is Jesus from God or is he something else? You will see this after every miracle. There's a little bit of an argument. And the argument is about what? Is he from God? And they say, well, he, he must be from God. Nobody could do this if he wasn't from God. And the other people say, yeah, maybe it's a demon. You know, they make up all kinds of stuff because they can't stand the idea that this guy would be the guy from God. And Jesus doesn't simply raise Lazarus. He asks the Father to raise Lazarus. And it's critical for everyone to see or to be able to see and believe that Jesus is sent by God, that he speaks and acts on God's behalf. Why does Jesus pray if God always hears him? And Jesus announces many, 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 many times in the book of John, he says, I only do what the Father's doing. I only say what the Father gives me to say. I only see, do what I see him doing. I'm only acting as his agent. I never do anything on my own. It gets tiresome how much Jesus talks about. He's not acting on his own. But it's absolutely critical for us to see. In chapter 5, he says, If you hear my words and believe in him who sent me, then you have eternal life. Faith in Christ is not faith in Christ alone. In 1 John, he writes, If you have the Son, you have the Father too. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father, and you don't have the life. They must come together or they don't come at all. So why does Jesus pray? I'm going to give you two reasons. One, he's the Son of God, and the Son looks to the provision of the Father and submits to the authority of the Father, and it's in the nature of their relationship. It's a relationship of persons. In relationships of persons, what happens? Oh, conversation happens. I talk. And if one of the two persons in this relationship has the authority and the resources for everything, I look to him for provision and for authority. Period. So it's only natural. Here's the thing. I want us to quit looking at prayer as some kind of religious duty or as some kind of way to get stuff we wouldn't otherwise get if we don't pray just right. 
I say this all the time, I know. It might be getting boring to you. I don't know about that. But as soon as you pray, you have already accomplished all there is. Whether God gives you what you imagine you need, or he gives you what he imagines you need, which is what he always does. And sometimes those line up. Oh, happy day. Good, good for you. This is part of the point of praying. You start to recognize the work of God in life and not depend so much on yourself. But as soon as you pray, you have repented. And that is what you always need to do all the time, no matter what has happened in the last five minutes. That is the only thing you need to do. The entire nature of the entire Christian life is turning from reliance upon anything other than God to reliance upon God in Christ by the Spirit. That is what prayer is. You need stuff. God's the provider, so talk to him. It doesn't matter. He knows you're foolish and you have no idea what you really need, and he's going to give you what you really need anyway. But you can talk to the living God. <laughs> and share whatever's on your heart, stupid or not. It's all stupid compared to his wisdom. And he is blessing you already. He blessed you when Jesus, when you died in Christ and were raised with Christ and seated in Christ at the right hand of the majesty on high, which has already happened. There you are, right there in the throne room of God, and you can run your mouth about whatever, and he is your Abba Father, and you know how when your kids were tiny little people just figuring out how to talk, and some of them didn't like talking, and some of them would not shut up, and they would blab on about ugh, the stupidest stuff. Did you ever say, wow, I don't like my kid anymore because he can't shut up. Not till they were teenagers. But God is always loving it. Jesus died to make it real. To bring us back in there. To sit on the lap of our good father. Now, we haven't even got to the resurrection of Lazarus, which is not really much the point of this story. The fact that Jesus prayed before he said Lazarus came out, come out is a much bigger deal than the fact that he said Lazarus come out. Jesus walked what I'm talking about every moment, 100% all the time. He never did anything except pray. That's what he says through the whole book. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I see or hear him saying. I only receive what he gives. I'm always looking to the Father all the time, 100%. His life 
was lived in perfect obedience to that little exhortation that Paul gives us in Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Jesus stops and points it out to us here because he wants people to trust, to witness and trust in that eternal relationship between the Father God and God the Son. To identify Jesus as the eternal Son. He says it. This is why I'm pointing out that I prayed about this so that they'll believe that you sent me. Now, he says to Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out. Lazarus is all tied up. He says, untie him. I, I don't want to preach too much like this, but I can't help but notice, you know, when you became a Christian, you were still all tied up. You need to be untied. You need to let go of your stupid nonsense and walk around like a living person. How ridiculous would it be if... Lazarus is raised from the dead and he walks around in his, you know, grave wrappings the rest of his life. Like barely able to walk. That would be stupid. You also should not walk around like you're still dead if you've been raised together with Christ. This is the very point of Romans chapter 6. He says, look, we don't lay the law back on top of you and tell you, you know, you got to do this or else. We say, look, you're free, man. You're not wearing the handcuffs around, so why are you walking around with your hands folded behind your back when you have the free use of them? Why do you keep on sitting when you could do something else? Why do you keep yielding yourself to the old Lord, sin, and death, when you could yield yourself to the living God as an instrument of righteousness. It's that simple. Untie the guy. Let him loose. You're alive in Christ. Okay. Live that life. I'm getting to the end. (laughs) Now, here's what happens. Jesus said, I prayed this prayer and I said, thank you, Lord, out loud so everybody could tell it was from you and so they would believe that you sent me. And then it says, got to get on the right page here. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. For me, one of the most important words in that sense is the word many. And I think, seriously? Oh, surely. Who could see that and not believe in him? Well, that's what happened. It says many believed. doesn't say all. And then it says, and some, well, it doesn't say and, it says, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. They told on him. And that's the implication here is they told on him. They weren't going to the Pharisees and saying, hey, wait till you hear about this. You're going to believe in Jesus now because you know what he did. No, that's not their approach at all. They're telling on him. When they go to the Pharisees, it's something like this. Hey, if you think you had trouble with Jesus up till now, 
just wait until you hear this. Because your trouble with Jesus has only just begun today with this raising of Lazarus thing. And I think to myself, you can't tell that story without telling them that this man has raised someone from the dead. But for them, that means trouble. You see, there's a division. There's those who see the resurrection and the life in Christ and run to embrace him. And there are those who say that threatens us. Do you see Jesus as a threat to your way of life? Or as the one God sent to save you? That's what happens here. And here's the story. He is a threat to your way of life because your way of life is killing you. So yeah, he's threatening that. But some of us, as it said earlier in the book of John, love darkness because our deeds are evil. And when the light comes around, we do not enjoy it. We run. So we see this separation here, and the challenge for all of us every time, all the time is, are we, do we see him as the resurrection of the, and the life to whom we run for safety? Or do we just see him as a threat to our precious ways? And we're going to find out as we go on. This miracle is the one that broke the camel's back and leads to the persecution and prosecution and execution of Jesus. Today, though, we stand with him and we are the people who pray. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Drone on. Bring your silly junk in there and just whine if you want to. And the Lord will comfort you in the rest that you have in Christ. Perfect rest. Father, we give you thanks for these things. You're too good to us. We can't even imagine. So, Father, we thank you for this. Thank you for these, these uh, events, these stories that have been recorded for us in the Holy Scriptures that clearly show us what kind of God you are. Lord, we lean on you. We come to you. Teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.